Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Um, we'll be there again on Sunday as well. Uh, I know that that's as we're continuing this series beyond Sunday morning that uh, Pastor Reddy started this past week. And by the way, continue to pray for him. Uh, I know that many of you have. We see it on the connection cards, the digital cards, and the physical cards. Um, but uh, continue to pray for him. Pray for the family. Um, he will be out of the pulpit for the next couple of Sundays, and I'll have the honor and the privilege to be able to speak. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, uh, preaching with preaching and, and seeing honestly what we really, from this past Sunday, there was something that he, that he said and uh, that really stuck out to me. And you know it, but it's like, it's, it's really simplistic. But he talked about um, really locking eyes with Jesus, focusing on him, because it's a, a lot of times uh, we, we come to church, we think about church while we're in church, but when we leave church, a lot of times our focus goes elsewhere. And the culture is very good to scream the urgent screams, but the important whispers. And so to really be focused on, on Jesus, and, and here's the thing, and uh, you've heard me say this before, but I, I believe the why that Elijah the prophet heard, him, heard Jesus speak with a still small voice was because... God wants you near. He doesn't, he do, he's not going to scream over the culture because he wants you to choose him. You have power of choice, and he wants you to choose him. And so, but not only does he, he want you to choose him, he wants you to walk in intimacy with him. So that's why he whispers, because he wants you near. You have to be near someone if they're whispering, right? So he speaks to the still small voice. But now his still small voice still has power to wake you up um, and, and grab your attention. But anyway. So I'll, I'll be into that vein, and it was a really great word this past Sunday, and with Pastor Reedy as he delivered that. So in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to be going into part 2 of this, and <clears throat> it's really more of an emphasis on, hey, and it, and it even goes back to Pastor Reedy. He told us we had a meeting, it's uh, last Thursday, and we had already been in this, but I had been feeling to challenge us to continue to grow. Now, that's, that's in your walk and your journey with the Lord, um, That that's... And, and that whole facet, but also as a church that we cannot settle. We're never going to be the church that says, we only have this many seats. We only have this many things. We can't grow anymore. We're never gonna, I'm never going to be that guy. And for those of you that's been around this ministry at any point at length of time, you know that's not who we are. We can't, we're not going to settle. Well, I don't like a big church. I'm sorry. We're going to get smaller through life groups and things like that. The relationships, if you could see it in that manner. And I'll talk about that some tonight. But God commands healthy, all healthy things grow. Uh, you, now, some of us, we hit our height, and then we start, like, I, I've, I understand that. I'm going this way now. Um, but all health, healthy things grow, and so even for the church, it has to be, uh, it's not just having lots and lots and lots of people coming through your doors. It's being effective. It's not so much of the, the, the quantity, but also the quality of what happens here. The church has to be life-giving. 
It can't be life-stealing. I've been a part of, well, let me rephrase that. I have been into churches that have been life-stealing, um, and, and I don't, I don't want to be life-stealing. I don't, I don't want to be a navel-gazer. I don't want to be those that this, I always focus on myself. I have to look up and look out. That's, that's the important thing. Jesus told his disciples, look upon the fields for they're wide into the harvest. Every season we know to be harvest season, but there are times where it's like God puts a heavier emphasis on the harvest season. Uh, and and I, I, I know that's where we're at. I mean, I, I feel that that's very, very much so. And which is whenever uh, it's been however long ago, uh, one of the verses of scripture, and it's actually on the side screens, uh, I'll read this first. Actually, take me to Isaiah 54, and then I'll go from there to Acts 2. But uh, Isaiah 54, and this is, I believe it's for us. It says, enlarge the sight of your tent to make room for more children. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare them. Lengthen your tent ropes and make your pegs or your stakes firm in the ground. So obviously we see that enlarge your sight. In other words, stop looking at what you currently have and understand. Have a bigger vision. Um, like God's given us greater vision to reach more. So there, there's, more, there's more children coming into the kingdom of God. So we don't build the kingdom. We fill the kingdom. Okay, so stretch out your dwelling, and that means that, hey, if it needs be, I need a, I need a, a, a lot more prayer if we're going to be building or doing anything like that, uh, but if that's the case, I'm all for it. I want whatever God's got for us, and it says don't spare. You understand that we don't spare in this house. I mean, we, we don't, we're not, we're, we're not looking, we want to do the very best that we possibly can with what God's given us. That is the overarching thing of who we are as a ministry. We want to carry a spirit of excellence. We want to have to do things. We want to take care of our building and all of the things that we have. Um, people say, well, you're just all about this smelling right, looking right, and I no, I mean, I believe that, have you read the story of Solomon? Did you see how that when the queen of Sheba came and she was amazed, even at the how the servants had, had set the tables and prepared Solomon and the way that, the, the pathway that led up to the temple of Solomon that he had, he did not spare anything. So the house of God, we don't do it as to say, look at what we have, it's to do it because it belongs to God. So we want to do the very best with what we have, Right. So we want to do things in excellence. and Don't spare them. Lengthen your ropes and make your pegs. What is that? What's the stakes of what we focus on? I talked about this last, the last time that we did the first part of that. That is your systems, your strategies, your structure. Now, Pentecostals freak out when they hear structure. Don't talk to me about structure. We want to Katie bar the doors and run. Okay, I got you. I understand, but God is still a God of order. And uh, the last I understood, the glory, of the, the glory of God could not fill the temple until it was done right. So everything has to be done decent and in order, Paul, right? We may have the most charismatic group of people, the most gifted, the people that can flow and all of the gifts of the Spirit, but there's no structure. You have to have structure because the glory of God follows his order and his structure. So we as a church, we believe in the structure and we believe that the vision God's given us for what we do, it's not the vision for everybody and that's okay. People come in and say, well, you, know, you do stuff this way. I understand. It may not be your vision. Every church has a vision. It may not be on their, on their, uh, on their sign or it may not be, but they have one. What is your vision? Well, we've got one. Well, what is it? Well, I don't know. We've got one. All right. Yeah, I know what it is. I can see it when I, listen, I'm venting. I got to stop. Let me move on. This is my soapbox right here. <laughs> um, so I, we, we believe that God is commanding us to, to grow, to, to, to look out. Do you understand in scripture that, that Jesus never told his disciples to make new converts? 
I said this last time. He didn't say that. What did he say? Make, what is 28, what is, what is Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, what does it say? Make disciples. That's believers already, but that's those that are following Jesus. And the lifestyle of a disciple, nobody likes to be corrected. But that's the way, read, read Proverbs. There is a, especially Proverbs 15. Proverbs 18 is really good too. It speaks to receiving correction. You understand that if God can't correct you, if he can't correct you in any facet, what does that make you? Hebrews has a strong word for it, and especially those of you that like King James, what is King James? If you're, you can't be corrected, you're illegitimate. Children. I, I want to be corrected. I need to keep a heart of tenderness. I, have to, I can't be stubbornness. I have, to, I, have to stubborn. I have to be open to what God wants to do and how he wants to do it. So that's why being a disciple, it involves, it's not just the great high times. You're going to have moments where you're walking through some tough seasons, and we've all experienced that, and where God has to come alongside of you. Maybe it's through the, the love of a friend. Because remember, love is not nice always, but it, all, it is kind. It is kind, but it's not always nice. So faithful are the wounds of a friend to say, hey, come on, get up out of your mess. Let's keep moving. You can't stay here. You can't sit in your dysfunction. Get out of that despair seat and let's go somewhere, right? So that's the power. A church, and, and my, my title for this is The Power of a Focused Church. And why? Because it's, I believe it's the Holy Spirit is obviously the power of the church. We understand that. But when a church becomes focused and unified, there's absolutely nothing that's impossible for them to accomplish under the, the leading of the Spirit of God, okay? It's not in their own name because there's times where we have to drop the egos and the logos and at all points, right? So it's not our church taking over a region. It's the call of God upon us to be effective and not just busy, all right? There's a universal church and there is a local church. God works through both, Obviously, the Capital C Church, I love what, I believe it was D.L. Moody that had a lady that came to him and wanted to sing in D.L. Moody's choir. Anybody ever heard of D.L. Moody? And, um, he's a revivalist way back in the day, and they came, the lady came to him, and she said, she said uh, Brother D.L., I want to sing in your choir. And, and he said, are you a member of this church? And she said, no, I'm a member of the global body of Christ. He said, well, you go sing in that choir. <laughs> Pretty bold statement. We believe in the local church. There is a capital C church. Don't get me wrong. We're part of that. But there's also a local church that God will work through. Look at Paul. We track that. I ain't got time to preach into that. Go back and listen to Pastor Eddie's message on Sunday, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But there's a universal church and a local church. Yes, they're the same thing, but it's more honed in and more focused, more intimate for us to gather together. Uh, the universal church is upon this rock I will build my church. That's Jesus saying that. And then the local church are the churches in Acts. It's the churches through that Paul wrote to, the church at Ephesus, the, the, the church at Galatia, uh, all of those churches, those are the local churches. But, but how did God intend to build his church? Because I'm not building this. I told you the last time I did this, I will do ministry with you, but I'm not going to do it for you. Well, pastor, you just go ahead. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm, and, and some people have left and got upset about that. But I, I'm being honest. I'm going to be pastoral. Listen, Wednesday night, gloves come off, the mask come off. We're going to, hey, so I'll do it with you, but I'm not going to do it for you. I want you to learn how. I want to equip you to do the works of ministry because you've got a spiritual gift. You do. And some of, us, some of us already know it before we go through next steps. And then some of us don't know it until we go through next steps. and are like, oh, wait a second. So that's considered a spiritual gift. 
Because you're, most of the time you're already acting in it, and it's not something I want to teach you to do. It's something that you're already doing, but I can help refine it and help you step into it more boldly and, and, and not set back because we're all called to do something, every one of us, not to sit back. And especially in harvest season, everybody's got to roll their sleeves up. Well, I want to see the church grow. Well, are you rolling up your sleeves? Because you, you need to do something. Because the last time I heard is that love actually has something tied to it called action. Oh, I love the people. Well, what are you doing? Are you, are you doing something? I understand I may tep, step on your toes a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm going to prod you a little bit. Can I prod you? If you don't come back, send an email to Pastor Derek. <laughs> All right. There's, I talked about eight qualities, and these eight qualities are, this has been something that I have taken from, uh, obviously, Pastor Eddie, you know he's a student, and I refer to him and honor him because he's taught me so much, even in just being around him over these past, uh, these past five years uh, since 2017, learning that, hey, we, we want to continue to grow. We got to take the next mountain. Sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes it's like you never stop to celebrate what God's done because God's a God of celebration. But, but a, a book that I had got a hold of, and it was, it's talking, it's, it's over thou, it's thousands of churches over a period of 40-something years. These were different poles and things that just rose to the top from biblical foundational truths that every church that was growing in spirituality and passion for Jesus, evangelism, and all of these things, they all held to these eight traits that, uh, that I have been talking about, these characteristics. And I'm going to give you the first four, and then I'm going into the next four because I preached the first four the last time. So just go back to the podcast. You can catch that. But the first one that I talked about was empowering leadership, all right? The second one was gift-oriented ministry. Again, I'm going to fly through these. Number three is passionate spirituality. And the fourth one was effective structures, Every one of these, and even Paul had set this up in some aspects of his churches as that he had order and leaders in those areas to oversee and help. The church at Corinth, for God's sake, they're a, they're a charismatic church. They're gifted. They're pursuing their spiritual gifts, but it's so dysfunctional. So Paul has to write a letter to give them correction and say, hey, let's put some boundaries on some things. You've lost your mind in some areas, literally. Had some messed up situations. That it was, uh, there was a lot of paganistic things mixed in with what they were trying to accomplish. And so anyway, but so he had to write that letter to give them a structure, an effective structure to lead them in the right way. So those are the first four that I talked about because every one of these churches have these attributes and these characteristics. We have these. It's just that are we effective in what we're doing? And so that comes back to me, all right? I believe that all leaders that lead the church of God, it goes back to this, and I'll tell you, when God gets ready to do something in the church, and when I say get ready, he's preparing his people for a move of the Holy Spirit or an outpouring or a breakthrough, whatever it may be, he always starts at the top, which is the leadership. And what he does, and it's interesting, when you look at the temple veil, the temple veil was torn how? Was it torn from bottom to top? How was it torn? Top to bottom. So anytime God gets ready to release the glory, he starts at the top. Well, pause a moment. Some of you already know, but you got to start with the leadership. The leadership has got to be broken, got to be torn and, and open and humble and, and have a lifestyle of humility. humility. Get, out from, get out in amongst the people and minister to them. Because if I'm not torn and I'm not broken, I'm not talking about my life as a mess and dysfunction. I'm talking about there's a heart of humility. 
There's a heart of brokenness and contrition that I'm, God, whatever you want. I'm not going to be haughty. I'm not going to be prideful because God absolutely hates pride. Absolutely loathes it. Anybody that manifests arrogance, pride, haughty spirit, lofty eyes, the jealousy, the envy, it will not inherit in any facet of what God's trying to do. It has to be removed. And most of the time, that's not a trip to the altar. That is a transformation of heart. It can't be done in an altar experience. It has to be done on a daily basis of following after Jesus. But God will take that leader and he'll tear him from the top. And the next thing you know is that he'll work him over in the fear of the Lord. He'll work him over in in integrity and honesty. He'll work him over. The next thing you know, it starts trickling down into the body. And next thing you know, the glory of God comes. Well, what does that look like? It's the manifest presence. There's different definitions. But it's the manifest presence of God that you sense and you feel the peace of God that invades a room that completely transforms. I could say, I could preach for 30 minutes and not accomplish anything, but when the glory of the Lord or the manifest presence of God, the Shekinah glory or the kabod, the weightiness of his presence comes in, it can transform you in a second. It changes everything for you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me ask you, when's the last time you encountered that? That's a vital part. When's the last time that God tore you? When's the last time that he ripped you from the top and, and begin, you begin to weep under the presence of God and you felt the brokenness of your, of your sin and your state of where you currently are? I, I'm, not, I'm trying to get into my message, but I feel this. When's the last time that that happened to you? Has it ever happened to you? Or is pride standing in the door and blocking the way for you entering into a, another, another place in God, the brokenness and the contrition? Those are the ones that the Lord won't despise. But that's what we want, and that leads me into number five. We know and we understand in this house, okay, hang with me. We know and we understand in this house that we have to have this, an inspiring worship service, inspiring, inspirational. What do I mean? It's not just, oh, I walk out, I feel so inspired. It's not that. I got to be careful how I talk like that too, by the way. (laughs) People start getting it wrong. Listen, I'm a deer hunter, kind of, sort of. Elliot has to help me track my deer, but we found it. <laughs> He's like a bloodhound. I just have to say that. Um, but the word inspiring, it means, uh, it means the, the breath. It, it's the, the inspiration of the breath of God. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon our services. So we don't want just great music, and we don't want just great before you're just buzzing in. We, we don't want just, we want it to be the Spirit of God resting coming upon, brooding over the house. Or as uh, I think it was A.W. Tozer talked about the brooding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and Leonard Ravenhill, those revivalists that, that, that talked about, there was just, just having the brooding of God over everything that we're doing, that his spirit's just brooding over the groups, brooding over the services, brooding over the foyer, brooding over our children back in the back. where there, We've had so many children filled with the Holy Spirit, saved, been seeing them baptized. The brooding of God, not just in this house, but over our ministry. We have to have these services that when you leave, it was life-giving and life-taking. I hope it hasn't been life. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to see it. I'll I'll take up a spirit of offense. I really will. (laughs) But whenever the Holy Spirit is truly at work and his presence is not just merely presumed, he will have a concrete effect upon the way a worship service that we have is conducted, including the entire atmosphere of our gathering. The whole atmosphere, when he's in this room, and there's a lot of churches that do Sunday morning Christianity, and the Holy Spirit has never even been recognized, talked about, uh, become aware of, 
It's interesting that if I look at it this way, and that's why I say hosting the presence of God, well, what does that really look like? When we talk about the awe-inspiring worship services, it's where, honestly, Jesus has to take the center stage of what we do. That's why I do get a little uneasy about standing in the center of the stage. It's just a, it's weird for me, but it, because I understand I've got to take a few steps back and make Jesus you got to make sure, I want people, I know that they're hearing us sing and us play, and they're hearing someone preach, but you've got to take the center stage of everything that we do. you got to be the main focal point. you got to be what everybody's looking at. And so when you go to a party, how many of you have gone to a party? Hopefully it's a good one. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> we don't want just lit parties. We want to make sure they're good. I'm digging myself a hole. But how many of you have ever been to uh, a good Christian party? <laughs> now, you know what? Whatever. Let's just go whatever way you want to go with it. Hey, we're having fun. This is actually part of this. So you've ever been to one, but you, you, you partook of all of the stuff, hopefully been good food and non-alcoholic beverages, and you connected with a lot of people, hopefully good people, not, man, this is really getting bad. <laughs> but you never connected with the host of the party. You talk to everybody, but you didn't talk to the person that owned the house. That's why when I talk about hosting the presence of God, listen, you come in. Listen, I'm called a steward. This is not mine. Well, yeah, Pastor Eddie, but you're the pastor. I get it, but I'm called a steward. Nothing I have, I own. I'm stewarding everything from my marriage to my children to my finances to, to, to the house. Whatever it is, I'm a steward. So I have to point the people of God to the presence of God. He is the host. I'm a steward. I'm in the house of God. So when you come, are you aware of just your good buddy that comes to church every Sunday and y'all sit and have a cup of coffee? Or when you come into the room, when you come into the house, is there an awareness that the presence is here? Because he's what we gather for. The, the children of Israel gathered around the presence. And if the presence didn't move, guess what? Neither did they. So we have to have that. People attending truly inspired services typically indi indicate that when they go to church, it's life-giving. These are some of the things that people have said. And I've heard people say before uh, when they've walked out of our, our services, and I've prayed this, God, let them be a, a breath of fresh air. Let it be an inspirational service. Let, their, let dreams come back alive. I, I'm going to tell you, there was a friend of mine that, that got married. Uh, it's been some time ago, and he actually had a worship leader that led worship in, in, his, in his, uh, his wedding. And this guy got up and he was so gifted and he just had an anointing on his life. The presence of God was on his life. Well, as he began to, excuse me, as he began to sing, all of a sudden it's like I felt exhilarated. Like, the, I, I just, like life had come. And, and, as, and, the more, and it wasn't anything like it was just a low-key, relaxed, but he was just bringing it. And as he was singing, it was a worship song. And as he was, I just felt like, man, I feel like I'm dreaming again. But like I can, I can actually have vision again. And just within that four to five minute song that he did, that, that's, what, that's what it means is that, that life returns. You dream again. And it's, again, you, you leave different. You leave inspired. You leave with a heart that's ready to do whatever God's called you to do. The people, and, and here's what I will tell you. I think it's important that for us, what are we supposed to do? As a body, what are we supposed to do before we come to church? Now, a lot of people don't know this. Um, but for, I'll just say this for, for staff, I've told them, and we talked about it this past week. Your Sunday begins, obviously it begins a lot earlier than Sunday. We, we do it, we're always prepping, but we, my wife and I protect our Saturday nights 
Sometimes it's hard to do because you have things that pop up. But we protect those Saturday nights because we want to be 100% when we come in on Sunday morning. Because we understand that at any given moment, there is such a state of depression resting on people that at any point, someone could leave this house and commit suicide and be done. So I understand I've got to be not only spiritually prayed up, so to speak, but I have to be physically ready when I come into the house of God. Well, you say, well, I'm not a leader in that regard. Yeah, I understand. But what's needed from you is before you come to a Sunday gathering or a Wednesday gathering or any special event that we do, that you have sought the heart of God and prayed, God, who are you going to send me in contact with at church? Who is someone that I've yet to connect with that I need to, that I need to encourage them because they, this could be their last time they ever attend a church. They could walk away from it forever. So for you as a believer in the body of Christ, you, you need to be prayed up. You need to come into these services prayed up, ready to worship, ready to engage the heart of God. There, there's an aspect of that. So what can I do? You pray, you attend, you worship, and you engage. And it's not just merely engaging. It's diving off into it in full. I'm talking to my Wednesday night crowd. So these are people that you call this home, the majority of us. So it's important for you to engage. We need you. I need you. I need you prayed up, ready, and, and faithful to the house of God. Because this is bigger than us, right? It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. So that's what I can do. Number six, this is... The next one, and we're doing this, but holistic life groups. What does that look like? Holistic. When we speak to holistic, we mean that, that it's not, in essence, it's not anything that's, that there's nothing missing in these. We try to make sure that when we present these before you, that for those that specifically, we have leaders, first off, that, that we believe that they're able to sign what we talk about as a leadership covenant because we hold our leaders to a standard. Well, people say, well, that's just legal. Well, your heart's not in it if it's, that's the case. We're not trying to be legalistic. We believe this is, this is our foundational, this is what we believe to be true in us to protect you, first off, for your witness. So when these leaders are doing these life groups, it's to open up the lines of communication because here's the deal. Let me tell you something. You may not get everything that you need right here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, you're not. You're not going to get everything you need in a service. So... In James 5, I think this will be up there, Chad, if you'll put it up. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, I love the, the Amplified. Listen, I'll go to the Amplified all the time. This is one of my favorite. It's don't read this as a man. You can read this alongside. But it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. This is the importance of a life group. Um, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. That's why we have the groups that we're having, especially freedom groups. And I think this is the, I don't know. Is this the largest group we've got? Okay. Not, it's close. We're going to get there. I believe it. I'm speaking it. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. So the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much when put into action. There it is. And made effective by God. It's dynamic and, and can have tremendous power. So what am I saying? So Sunday mornings, you know, I grew up in church where, you know, people would come to the altar, and it may be, they may be in the altar a long time praying through. And that, hey, that's at, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's times people would come to the altar and nothing ever happened. Anybody ever been there? I've been that guy. Nothing ever happened, and I walked away. But all of a sudden, things begin to shift whenever someone, God connected me with a person in the house that 
we had some, some like-minded things in common as we began to talk. Then it began to break open the lines of communication. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm, I'm being able to, to, uh, um, to be transparent with them because that's what you, you need that. Transparency opens the doorway to healing in your soul. When, you're, when you can be honest, open, and transparent with somebody, guess what? You can be healed. The problem is you can't find it all the time in an altar. I, I know that sounds crazy and bad. You can build an altar anywhere you go, all right? You can have one at home. You've you got a prayer closet in your vehicle. But you need the togetherness. You have to have one another. I'll talk more about this on Sunday as Cornelia. I really could dive deeper into this. I'm not going to. But in these groups, the members are able to bring up the issues, the questions, um, that are immediate personal concerns. You have to have that. If it's just Sunday and Wednesday, it's hard. It really is. It's hard. It's, you learn a lot about somebody whenever you break bread with them, sit down, have a meal with them, talk to them. Their heart comes to the top. You hear things without them ever saying things, but you can sense. And, 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 and I'm telling you, this is the way you find your healing. Um, it's, it's a natural place for us to come together, learn to serve Others, both in and outside of their groups, especially as it pertains to our spiritual gifts. I'll tell you this. This is an example. When we, when we started Freedom Groups, it really opened up another avenue for us to empower other leaders in the house. Um, because we had, we had those that stepped up in different, and we saw a lot of people step up in different avenues. It was amazing. Um, you know, everything from the prayer team to the intercessors uh, to those that were manning different uh, stations, those that were speaking. It really opened up an avenue for greater ministry. But, but in that, what we understood too is it also opens the doorway for, for discipleship. You know what a disciple is, right? Breaking that word down, what does it mean? Disciplined learner. Are you disciplined? Are you a learn-it-all or are you a know-it-all? So here is what discipleship to me truly means, and this is the importance of having it within a context of a small group. It is the transfer of life. It's the transfer of life, not the repetition of something uh, to be learned or abstract ideas or concepts. It is the transfer of life. We go do life together together. We're walking with Jesus, I'm telling you. And, and, and it's important to be connected to someone that's spiritually stronger than yourself. Right? You have to have that. The disciples had Jesus. Timothy had Paul. I mean, the list could go on. Throughout Scripture, you see that there was someone that was spiritually stronger than them that they looked up to, and they had to have that accountability in their life. Otherwise, you fly by the seat of your pants and you're, you're a lone wolf. And there are no wolves in the kingdom of God. I'm just going to tell you. Those days are gone. The days that when, and even Elijah had to have Elisha. But for a while, he ran by himself until, didn't you realize, just a side note with Elijah, after he performed the killing of the 450 prophets of Baal, after he did that, he never performed another miracle. He hid into a cave folded up shop in a place of depression, and God says, we got to change this. Hey, Elijah, come out. He performed, you know, he, did, he was, he cooked him a cake, got him up. He said, I need you to go to this specific house. You're going to run into a, a young man called Elisha, and I want you to pull him alongside of you. I know that's not in, verbatim what he said, but that's what he did. And Elisha walked into double portion. So what can I do in this essence of God, 
especially when we, we want to have holistic small groups, life groups, those things that where we build connections and relationships. First off, you need to join one. We know that. Uh, the, and, and connect with people in that. You have to connect with people. So it's not something that just within those groups, because you can attend one and say, well, I, I kind of feel left out and an outsider. No, you need to engage. You need to engage. Connect with others that's there and be faithful to come to it. Um, one of the things that with people uh, that, and it is, if you want to have friends, you got to show yourself friendly, right? Um, you have to be, and we'll talk, well, I'm, I'm an introvert. I know, and I know it's hard, but here's the thing I know about God. God has no problem making you uncomfortable. That's why he gave you the comforter. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you're the one that comes alongside because God's going to make us uncomfortable. He's going to tell us to do. He's going to challenge us to do things that we do not want to do, that we feel unqualified to do at times. So he sends you a comforter. And so the important thing for you is that you have to make sure that you engage with those that God's called you to become a part of the house with. That's a vital thing. And I know it takes you, it's uncomfortable, you don't like it, but you have to become friendly. Uh, uh, we've, we've had some that's told us, well, you're, you know, I came in, nobody talked to me, nobody said anything to me. And I was like, I really, I'm not going to call you a liar, but I really find that hard to believe. Um, because most, you're going to at least get greeted at the door as long as we're paying attention. You're, you're going to get greeted at the door. Somebody's going to open the door and say, hey, it's great to have you. You're going to be connected with. So, and we want to keep that, but it's on the people of God. We have to be effective at continuing to do that. So, there you go on that. Number seven, and this is one that's a big one. Uh, need-oriented evangelism is number seven. Need-oriented evangelism. Every one of these churches, I don't care uh, what their background was, they had th these things, these traits are, are needed. Need-oriented evangelism. Here, here's the thing. The message of Jesus will never change. The message of the gospel and what he did. Um, the, the blood that covers your sins, the cross, he was perfect. He was not one that people, some people say, well, he was born a natural man and he ascended to kingship. No, he didn't. He was, he was born a king. He is God wrapped in flesh. He, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what the scripture says. Uh, and, and, and we believe in those essential aspects of, of, of the gospels and, or of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross, rose again on the third day, and he gave us resurrection power. Those are things. And, and so the, the message will never change. That we can't shift it. We're not going to take away from it. We're gonna, not going to take things out. We believe in the fullness of it from front to back. But the methods of how we reach people will change because some of the things that you... I'm not saying that it's, that, it, that it's completely outdated. I'm not going to say that at all. But door knocking, going from house to house, some people still do that. And that's completely fine. But some don't like that too much. You knock on the door and all of a sudden the door starts talking to you, right? The ring. It's like, what are you doing in my house? Well, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Well, I've heard that before. I mean, I mean you've got Jehovah's Witnesses. You've got the Mormons, I mean, the, the white shirts, the black ties, and the black pants, they're rolling through the neighborhoods too. I mean, and they're still going after it. I don't know how their conversion rate is, but we can't allocate and release, and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, we can't allow those that don't have the full truth, the truth that we have, to go forth and be more passionate than those of us that actually do have truth. 
And when I'm not talking about just our church, I'm talking about the, the, the evangelistic church that we know the blood of Jesus, the cross, and that he, the virgin, the, the essentials that we talk. We can't, we can't delegate that out and let somebody else handle that. Well, I'll just let something. No, 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 that, that's us. So the church has to have evangelism. We, and, and it's like, well, we used to do this back in 1972. Well, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. But is it something that can be brought into our day? Does that method still work for this day, right? So what do we need to be looking at? We have to be careful that we're not adopting somebody else's methods or principles as a concrete principle that would replace something in Scripture. We got to be careful with that. And um, I, I believe that's why in Scripture, Jesus, when, when he would heal somebody, he did it in certain ways. He never did the same thing twice, and it, it was just different. Like at different times, at one moment he spit on the ground, makes, makes mud, wipes it in the guy's face, go tells him to. So there's like all of these different methods. And at other times, he would just walk up and tell him, get out of the casket. He didn't pray. He didn't say, Father, get out of how I pray right now that you would just raise them from the. And he didn't. He just said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And stuff began to happen. So he never, and that's, I think he does that to teach us that we can't f- fall into a pattern or a, a form, because in the kingdom of God, what it is is faith. To see lives change, because the greatest miracle is salvation in and of itself, right? So we can't look for, well, this is the method that we need right here. That's why I think they change over the years. Okay, I'll move on. So there's a distinction between Christians gifted for evangelism and those whom God has called from the five-fold ministry called the gift of an evangelist, all right? We all have a testimony. We all have an opportunity that when someone crosses our path, we share the message of what Jesus has done for us, which opens the door for salvation in their life. So it's your testimony, your place, how God changed you, right? So, but it's definitely important for us to witness to others through our daily goings, going forth, because that's the, that's, that's the gospel. As you go, preach the gospel. As you go, make disciples. Your, your daily goings, wherever you're going. And um, I was having lunch with someone today, and we were talking about coincidence. And, and, and it's not found in the Hebrew language because I don't think everything that God does has a means. To, there's something connected to it. God always has a purpose for everything that takes place. Now, he may not cause it, but he can definitely use it. And whatever it is, good, bad, regardless. So... In your daily goings, the people that you cross, you need some good heathens in your life. Don't be one. You're not supposed to be one, but you need some good ones. I've got, I've got a few that I cross paths with. I got one person, um, he does not come to church here because I'd already corrected him. <laughs> but I love it, but in a, in a way I'm like, I don't know if I'm, I'm like, I'm torn. He has one more mouth on him. I mean, it does not matter, and he just say whatever. And I, I'm wondering, I'm like, okay, should I? Hey, man, I, and he knows I'm a pastor. Like, I don't have to tell him, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Please don't use that language in front of me. He just, and so I don't know if I'm like, I want him to feel comfortable around me, you know what I'm saying? Or if I should say, hey, just don't say that, you know. But, but I've got a few of those in my life that from time to time we have conversation, text message, whatever, and I just have to believe, I have to believe that every time, that I come in contact with these, that the presence on me, the residue of God's presence, because you understand that at salvation, he came in you for your sake. 
I'm going to say this again because I believe it. But when he, when he baptized you in the fire of the Holy Spirit, he came on you for the sake of others. Why did the Spirit of God come on them in the book of Acts? To endue them as a witness. So the need-oriented evangelism that I, I just have to believe that when I get around these people and I just have to believe that, man, there's something they're sensing, they're feeling, <laughs> hopefully, conviction that draws them into the heart of God. You know what I mean? So, but here's my thing. Do people feel convicted when they get around you? Is there anything that you're carrying on your life that would make them say, I want what's on you? Or are you blending in and becoming a part of the conversation and becoming part of the deeds? All right, I'll keep moving on that too. I don't want to look up right now. So many of us aren't connected uh, into the world for fear that we will become tainted. I think that's a lot of the struggle. And I'm not saying if, if you've struggled with, you know, alcohol or something like that. It's like, well, you know what? I know some good heathens. I'm going back to the bar. No, don't do that. You know, don't, don't, don't open that door. But <clears throat> here, here's, here's what I know, and this is what I'm reading into. I kind of opened this conversation up with our, uh, with our staff the other day. Uh, just some things that God is, is teaching me according to the Gospels. But it's interesting with Jesus that he, had, he was not scared to get in and amongst the lepers. Because the Pharisees was, hey, you got to shout when you get so far away, unclean, unclean, unclean. That's what a leper has to do. It's crazy. And believe it or not, there's still leper colonies today. It's crazy. But they have to shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And so Jesus just walks right in amongst all of that dysfunction and all of that disease and sickness. And he extends his hand and he touches the leper because in this day, it ought to be where when the world touches us, we don't become tainted and unclean, but that when we touch the world, something happens in their world and they become clean. That's what I'm talking about. Even if you don't say a word among some of these people that you rub shoulders with on a daily basis, they ought to sense, feel, encounter. You owe the world an encounter. Did you know that? You owe this world an encounter. You owe the people around you an encounter. You are the gospel they're reading every day. Even though they don't read it, they're reading you. So what does your life read? What does it say? What does it testify to? So what can I do? Let me just ask you this. What can I do? Well, there, there's two things. I tried to put a door handle to every one of these so you can apply it. What can I do? First off is you just look for the moments in the conversation. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that you're, you're uh, over ecstatic. If you want to be that way, that's fine. You'll probably get kind of kicked to the curb in some conversations. But be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Look for the moment to share. Just look for the moment. See it. God will reveal it. To, I promise you. And then, and then invite them to the place of where you're being fed. You with me? All right, here's the last one. AJ, if you would. The last one is this, that every church that has continued to grow and expand in, in ways that's not numerically, but it's the quality of life. It's just, is, is to have loving relationships. Love it. I mean, for God's sake, we're called love and truth. So we better love, right? It better be, it better be a part of who we are. Um, churches 
must possess, we must possess what is referred to as the love quotient. And this can be determined by how much time that you're spending outside of the church, outside of church services with those in the house. That's, that's vital. Um, do we go house to house with one another in time to time to have a meal, spend time? I mean, that's what life groups are going to be about. I mean, you don't have to go house to house, but definitely from meeting to meeting place. Um, but do we, do we have lunch together? Do we have coffee together? Are there phone conversations? Is there text conversations? Do we have somebody that we can remove the mask with and be real with? Like you have to have these relationships where you're not judged according to what you struggle with. And, and I, I believe this is so true. We always judge people by a sin that we don't struggle with. Think about it. We always judge them. Well, I can't believe they're so. Yeah, but what do you struggle with? You know what I mean? It, it, and that's why I'm so cautious as to when I see someone's life. I want to be discerning but never suspicious. Discerning says, how can I pray? How can I have that conversation to help them restore? Anytime someone falls in any facet of life, hear what I'm about to say. If you don't hear anything else, get this tonight. Anytime someone messes up uh, and misses the mark, anytime someone falls off the per se wagon, any, and especially in the church, that's why whenever one of my really good friends fell in ministry back about four years ago, my first thought that hit me was how do I help him restore? Is restoration the main focus? And reconciliation, trying to bring them back. It's not trying to establish a stage anymore. I don't care about that. How do I bring them into the fold where they don't feel judged? Because we're going to feel that. People say, well, I, you know, you judge not that you not. No, no, no. There's an aspect of judging that you have to do in leadership in the church. And I don't, that's going to sound, because I, I don't have time to develop that. I wish I could. I can. I'm not talking about, well, you're unworthy. You're, I don't have a scepter. I'm not doing that. But you have to make, you have to make wise decisions. And it's called discretion good judgment in those areas but for those that are unbelievers for those that have fallen does your mind immediately go towards love how do I help them restore or am I trying to put them on display and say they have fallen and they can't get up <laughs> or do I say in private I pull them aside and say let's figure this out we got to move forward God loves you and you're not staying where you're at Let's, let's move. Let's correct it. Yeah, we know that we know the shame. We know the, 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 the feelings when we mess it up. But are there a loving relationships in this house enough to where people feel okay to return back into the house? And as one guy used to say all the time, when I walked into this house, my past was left outside. And I said, that's exactly what God desires for every house of God to become. And when you walk into the house, your past is outside. Doesn't matter. Come into the house. You need to be here. How often do you laugh together? <laughs> like, I know with us, we laugh a lot. Every time we go on, a, a like, just the, the pastors to a retreat, we laugh until I come back with a headache. Like, I do. My gut's hurting, probably because I've ate a lot, because like, we do that a lot, too. But then I laughed so much that I literally, Pastor Eddie said, oh, here we go. You got to get him some ibuprofen. His head's going to be hurting before long. But we laugh a lot because you got to learn to laugh at yourself too. Like, and so in this house, that, that we, you should. You should laugh. Church should be so much fun. It should be a time that whenever we're broke, we weep with those who weep. We laugh with those who laugh. 
We rejoice with those who get promoted and we don't get offended and upset and turn a cold shoulder to them because they got something we thought we needed. Because guess what? In the kingdom of God, there is no competition. Orphans compete. In most churches, and it's not so with us, I don't think. In most churches, you have 90, 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. Some churches can be 20% doing 80% of the work. But in ours, I feel like that a lot of people have taken hold of the plow and said, we're, we're going to help. What do we need? What do we need to do? Uh, those of you already have discovered what God's called you to do. So you've just stepped in and you're doing it anyway. But in the amount like this over the past few weeks, we've been progressively growing back up. Um, we just to, just to let you know, uh, we've went from... Um, little under 300 we're back up over 300 last Sunday we're at 324 previous Sunday we were up at 374 so it's kind of like we've just progressively been growing back up and the people of people have just been coming always have a lot of guests there's always people uh, coming through the house so in both services it's pretty amazing to see how God has just brought us back from where after everything happened with COVID um, we saw such a decline but there has been such a desire in the hearts of people and that's what I've constantly prayed God let us become intimate worshipers of you let this house be filled every seat has been touched God whoever sits in this seat let them become an intimate passionate worshiper of Jesus let them love you more than anything else in this world and so we keep declaring that we're believing that and as we progressively get to move forward but what I've just given you tonight and this is the last part of this there are these eight traits, and this is what we possess in some measures and some we must be more effective at. But why do I teach this? It's because we're called to grow. Can I just give you the bottom line? God wants us to grow, all right? And all of the systems and strategies that we're supposed to be doing, God's calling us to grow. So I want us to stand to our feet for just a moment, and we're just going to pray corporately. Um, but I, I really feel this is effective, and prayer teams, get ready to come at the end. If you need prayer for whatever, let them pray over you. But I, I want us to pray corporately for just a moment. Um, I believe that I, Sunday morning at the end of the second service, um, we went into some extended altar time for those of you that, were, that stayed and listened. Uh, and, and I really felt like God gave us words of encouragement, prophetic words about the coming months. And I'll just give you in brief, and what I felt like the Lord had really laid on my heart, is that September is going to be a very pivotal month. It's going to be a month. We understand that that is the beginning of the Jewish New Year uh, and Rosh Hashanah. But I believe that September is going to be a very, very, very vital, but also a pivotal month. Uh, I, and I keep wanting to lean towards our, our church, but I, I, it could be for the body of Christ. That the whole, I'm not a prophet. I'm just telling you what I sense and what I know. And I'm praying into it. I've actually already texted Prophet Lloyd like, hey, this is what I'm sensing. What's your thoughts on this? And we had some thoughts. But, but I, I believe that it's speaking to the next six months that we're going to see people coming in from all over the nation. I did feel that. It's, it's, it's going to progressively, it's, that's going to grow. That's going to increase. We're going to see them coming. And that's why it's important. I know many of you say, I don't know anybody that's attending here. Me either. It's hard. They're coming in. like, But that's why it's important that we're constantly connecting. You have to connect. So everyone has to mobilize, right? So I think, I know this is what God is wanting to do as we move forward. So I, I just want us to take a few moments and I want us to pray into the 50 mile radius around our church for the lost to come into the house of God. Pray it in, all right? Pray the harvest in. 
But also, as you go, keep your eyes open. Look up and watch because you're going to have conversations. And check your lifestyle. Check your spiritual inventory. Check your life. Is your life one that someone can identify and say, yeah, they're a believer. I can see they're a believer. Or is it one that you straddle the fence? I mean, there's things to think about. Does your life testify to the goodness of Jesus Christ? Or is it very carnal and worldly? All right? So, Father, we thank you tonight for your presence. God, I thank you so much that you've given us a house that is full of love. A lot of the relationships in this place, God, such loving relationships. And I thank you for that, Lord. But, God, I'm beginning to pray specifically into this 50-mile radius. Come on, people of God, I need you to pray with me. I'm praying into this 50-mile radius that the lives of the people in this 50 miles that don't know you, Jesus, or that those that have been away from you, that they are not in a, in a church home. They're not attending a house for whatever it may be. Maybe it's through uh, something that happened, church heard, or maybe it's through some, whatever it is, God. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that they would just start to be drawn into the house of God. Cross paths with these people in the room right now. Every person, those that's in Iuka, those that's in northern Alabama, those of you that's coming from Waynesboro, those that's coming from Bath Springs, I'm asking you for divine appointments in the name of Jesus. Come on, those of you. I'm telling you, ask God for divine appointments. Those of you that live in Adamsville, Crump. Those that live towards Burnt Church area, Pickwick area. In the name of Jesus, we thank you that there are divine appointments coming across our paths. Wherever we go, I thank you for the broken cross and pass with us. Come on, be bold and ask God. God, let the broken cross my path. Let the lost, the sinner cross my path. Let the, the wayward son or the wayward daughter, let the prodigal daughter cross my path, God. Pray into that right now. Now shift it and pray specifically for the gifts of the Spirit. I'll help you. The nine of them. Start it, start it with this. God, give me words of wisdom. Give me words of knowledge. Words for those that I'll cross paths with. Listen, this is the gospel. It's sharing the message of Jesus. This is the harvest. This is harvest season. I want you to be aware of that. You have to know right now specifically God is putting his hand on this. Give us words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Give us the gift of faith. Give us the gift of working of miracles. Give us the gifts of healing. The many gifts of healing. Give us the gifts of discernings of spirits, God. Give us the gift of prophecy that we could call out the gold in people's lives and not the dirt that's so easily found, but to see the gold in the heart of a person. Help us to look for the one that everyone is cast to the side. Come on, I'm telling you, I feel the, the presence of God on that. The one that everyone's cast to the side and says there's no hope for that one. Let us see them, God. Give us eyes to see them. I thank you for a church alive. Make them alive, God. Awaken them. Give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding and discernment. Prepare us to walk out of these doors into the greatest mission field and be a part of the greatest harvest the church has ever seen. I'm going to say it again. Because I don't think you heard it. God, empower us as we walk out of this door into the greatest harvest field to see the greatest harvest the church has ever seen. It is time for the lost to come home. It is time 
for those around us to see a miracle through healing, laying on of hands, so that their hearts turn towards Jesus. That's the purpose. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week. Thank you.